Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Tyler, not only did you read well, but you look great. (laughs) Best dressed offensive lineman in the country. No doubt about it. Thank you, sir. Except that, Tyler, you just read a verse that kind of ruins it for all of us. That 548. I don't know if you heard it, because probably like me, you have this built-in filter that allows you to hear a very hard verse of Scripture and somehow figure out a way to dismiss it. But in case you did dismiss it, here's the verse, and I'm sorry to bring it up again. It goes something like this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not bad enough that Jesus is the one saying to us, be perfect, right? It's not bad enough. He then has to add the qualifier on there. Okay, Jesus, how perfect? Only as perfect as God is. And by the way, there is a technical term for the kind of sentence that that is, grammatically speaking, both in the Greek language and in the English language. That sentence is an imperative. So it is not an option. That sentence being an imperative means that Jesus is looking at us saying, you do this. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Hey, thanks for coming today. Let's stand and be dismissed. I mean, because it feels like, okay, it kind of stops right there. It kind of stops right there because most of us, most of us have listened long enough to uh, homespun, I guess, or common sense sort of wisdom sorts of sayings that say something like this to us, nobody's, you finish it, nobody's, and yet, and yet, Jesus, our favorite person, (laughs) says to us, be perfect, and here's how perfect I expect for you to be, as perfect as your heavenly Father is. Ugh. Does anybody else already feel defeated? (laughs) We're going to have to go backwards a little bit to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here. And and in order for me to 
to give you some idea of what Jesus is saying here, we actually have to go backwards all the way to last week. And I want to remind you that you are a tree in a story about a forest. In other words, you have to understand this about Christianity and the Christian faith. I think for far too long, we have understood Christianity as an individualistic initiative. And while it includes us as individuals and your, your choices that you would make, your decisions that you would make are crucially important, you need to understand that they are important because they occur against a larger backdrop, which I called last week a forest. And, and I told you last week, and I'll just briefly recap it this week, Jesus uses this strange language of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And, and I think that we have trouble understanding that language because we don't live in a kingdom. We don't live in a monarchy. We live in an elected representative representative sort of government, so we don't understand that so much. So I changed it a little bit, and I said, okay, we are the forest of God that has its own system of life that can be differentiated from other systems of life. We are the forest of God. And I said this to you, that forest operates uniquely, especially when it has to do with relationality. How we go about relationship is different in our forest our little closed system here, as opposed to the way other systems, let's say the business world, the consumer world, they go about relationship very differently than do we, the forest of God. Is that okay? Some of you are saying, well, why couldn't you do it that short last week if that's all it took? It's a great question. Um, Jason taught the incoming members, and he teaches every class of, of members, incoming members, about the Church of the Nazarene. And he says this about the Church of the Nazarene. We are understood in a lot of different ways, but most recently we are understood by these three very important words. We are Christian, we are missional, and we are holiness. Now there's a word that we are familiar with, but we don't necessarily understand. And you've heard this, I, I think we do a lot of this. I think especially, especially if you have grown up in the church, there are perhaps words and phrases that have become familiar to us, but with the gun pointed to our heads, we may not be able to explain. We have heard this terminology of uh, holiness for a long time, and perhaps, perhaps it has been for us one of the stumbling blocks where spiritual development is concerned. Because perhaps we have... A, a, an incomplete, an underdeveloped, or a mistaken understanding of what that word means. I will tell you this. This word holiness has something to do with that word perfection that we heard at the very end of the passage of scripture that Tyler read today. Now here's a phrase you don't hear very often in church. You probably won't hear it, but once a year in church. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Leviticus. <laughs> If you would, turn with me all the way to the book of Leviticus. Now, here's what has happened. The people of God have been liberated out from underneath Pharaoh's control, and now here they are on the other side of the Red Sea, ready to be the unique people of God, the unique people of God, who can be differentiated from other people groups because of the way they come together, because of the way they cohere and what they look like as a group. And what they look like as a group, this is supposed to be the case. When the people of God are together, we're supposed to look like God. We're supposed to give people some idea of what God is like. This is the reason this relationality thing is so important. So the people of God come together. There is this tent of meeting. 
And this is sort of a, a, a facsimile of the tent of meeting described in the books of Exodus, but also the book of Leviticus. And it goes something like this, that, that God would come down and meet with Moses inside of this tent and, and tell Moses how it is that the people are supposed to be organized. Now, some people try to read all the way through the Bible, and it is a worthy pursuit. Most people bog down somewhere in Leviticus, right? Because it's just line after line and chapter after chapter of what are you talking about, right? But here's what he's talking about. Did you know the book of Leviticus actually has more words reportedly to be direct from God than any other book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus? And God is trying to organize the people of God so that they can best represent the character and the nature and the core essence of God. And so here's what's said in in chapter 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Well, okay, then we better figure out what this word holy means because here again, the God who issues imperatives, you're supposed to do this, has now said this to us in the book of Leviticus, be holy. So we better figure out what it means to be holy. Thankfully, here in this same chapter, we get some idea of what it means when God uses the terminology of holiness. Skipping all the way down to verse nine. Now this is all part of holiness, ready? Before I do, let me tell you what has functioned in my head as the definition of holiness through the years. Now I'm not gonna implicate you, I'm just gonna talk about me. At times this term holiness has left me with this sort of mental image. It's a little bit like the surgeon who scrubs up before going into the operating room. That surgeon, right before he or she goes into the operating room, is absolutely and completely scrubbed clean, pure. And that's the definition of holiness that functioned in my mind and heart. Now, as I got older and I studied, I recognized that there was something else. There was this purity aspect, for sure, but there was also this set-apartness, this sacredness, set apart for a certain reason. Hear this, I think it's all in there, this purity aspect. I think it's in there. This set-apartness, this sacredness, I think it's in there. But there is this whole other aspect. And when we don't talk about this whole other aspect intended in the use of the word holiness, then we actually do not have a complete understanding of holiness. And when we opt then for the purity and the set-apartness, it can be mistaken without the rest of this. So what is it that God means when God says holiness? Now, it may not sound all that holy to you, but this is what God means, verse nine. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. And the gleanings, that's the stuff that falls off the wheelbarrow on the way to the truck. If it falls off, you leave it. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, that is a common refrain in these verses we're going to read today. I am the Lord your God. And after this, every once in a while, he'll say this. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Why does God keep saying this? Well, 
in order to understand why God keeps punctuating these, these lists of, of, of hoped-for attributes of the people of God, in order to understand why God keeps saying, I am the Lord, you have to know what the word Lord actually means. Broken down into its most basic elements, the word Lord, as we see it in Exodus chapter 3, when God names himself in the encounter, Moses' encounter with the burning bush, this word, this name, this label, Lord, means this. As I have been there, I will always be there. Oh. Okay. They didn't like us so much. I'm going to say it to you guys over here because I think it's really good. As I have been there, I will always be there. That is the name of our God. And so what God is saying here, and I'm going to read through all of this. And I'm going to punctuate it with these statements. I am the Lord. What God is saying is, I want you to do these things. I want you to be these things. I want you to embody these things. And I will be here with you all along the way. Here it goes. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. And you shall not lie to one another. And you shall not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not defraud your neighbor. You shall not steal. You shall not keep your, for yourself the wages of a laborer until morning. You shall not revile the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall not render an unjust judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer, defer to the great. With justice, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not profit by the blood of your neighbor I am the Lord. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove or, or somehow gently nudge your neighbor toward rightness and correctness, or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God knows that these are difficult things that he is suggesting that we do, that he is demanding that we do. God knows that it is hard to love the other person. God knows that it is hard in this world to not live in a self-oriented, self-directed sort of way. God knows that the chief competitor to God's godship in your life is not the devil, it's you. God knows that relationship is not only the field on which faith will be played out, but God also knows that relationship is also going to be the biggest hurdle to overcome. And so God says, Here's what I dream for you to be. Knowing that this is all difficult, knowing that this is all hard, hear this as God says it, I will be right there with you the entire time. Oh. It's that same God that we're hearing from in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And actually, that was actually groundbreaking way back when in the Old Testament, because way back when in the Old Testament, if you kill one of mine, I'm gonna kill 10 of yours. So, if I were to say to you an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that is at least trying to stop the cycle of violence. But Jesus turns up the volume here. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, this is in the Bible, y'all, I did not make this up, I promise. Do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Some of you have already opted out because you understand Jesus to be impractical. 
Jesus does not live at my high school. Jesus does not sell the stuff that I sell. Jesus is not in that dog-eat-dog world out there. Jesus is not in my household. You're a tree in a story about a forest. There's another way to say this. As we walk through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've already made the decision that we're going to go back during common time and work through all of this more slowly, more deliberatively. We want to hear, uh, d- deliberately, we're going to hear these words over and over and over again. And we're going to take our time because we need to understand that these aren't measurements of the height of the trees. This is God's purpose and hope and plan and design for world making. This is the way. The means whereby God seeks to work in and through God's people to remake and redeem and recreate the planet. And all God's people, please say, we have made these things individual measurements. And because we have, when we get to that holiness part, especially when we get to that perfection part, we opt out because we say, nobody's perfect, chief of all me. I've seen me in the mirror. Now, some pretty funny things have been done with these verses, and not just this about turning the right cheek. Look at this. Also says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. You have to hear this in context. This is a a beat-up Jewish population, still living under the thumb of an occupier. Now it's not Egypt Now it's not Babylon, now it's Rome. These Roman soldiers had the capacity to do really whatever they wanted to protect the peace of Rome. So at times, they would, in their superiority, strike you in your inferiority. There were times when, because of the Roman way of life, that someone might see fit to take your your cloak, and what Jesus says here is, just give them the rest, and in your nakedness, you will demonstrate publicly the wrongness of the authority. These Roman soldiers had the capacity to compel you to carry armor, helmet, sword, all of this stuff, at least a mile, and if you said no, they could kill you, at least arrest you. And Jesus says here, no, carry it a second mile without being asked. And there are a lot of folks who would say, this is a way to shame the oppressor. Turning the other cheek, this is the way that we Christians will shame. We will call out our oppressors by giving our tunic, by walking the second mile. We will publicly, we will publicly shame our oppressors. I have actually seen quite a bit of that. Now, here recently, it's really funny to see how there are seasons of interpretation where some of these passages of Scripture are concerned. But here's the season we're kind of in now. After having heard that for a few years, there are people who are saying, wait, this whole publicly shaming thing, there may be some of that in this passage of Scripture, but the other verses around those verses still leave us with this deep sense that we are to love the oppressors. Yeah, I know, it doesn't make any sense, does it? I have a terrible thing to say to you. And maybe we shouldn't record it, so we may edit it out, Drew, right? 
I got a thumbs up from Drew. That's a good member right there. <laughs> Maybe Christians who under-respect the words of Christ Maybe we're part of the reason that the kingdom hasn't advanced as it could have. Maybe when we sit nestled in our pews, which happens also to be for each one of us the seat of ultimate arbitration and judgment, (laughs) because you are ultimately going to decide whether or not Jesus is telling the truth or whether or not Jesus is crazy or whether or not you're even going to do this or consider it tomorrow. And maybe because we have not taken seriously the opportunity to remake the world in the image of God, maybe because we have not taken this opportunity seriously because we have made Christianity into something else, not swearing, maybe we're part of the reason the kingdom has not advanced as far or as quickly as it could have. Maybe the world isn't being remade because we don't understand that this is how we remake the world. Here's what I'm saying. There may, in fact, be something in here that has to do with making sure that you shine a light on oppression and you shine a light on the oppressor, but all of that is done against this backdrop that says, love your enemies. So your ultimate goal can't be shame. (laughs) Your ultimate goal if we're going to remake the world, is love. I've not met many people strong enough, strong enough to do what Jesus suggests. The really good news is God is accessible to us and seeks to remake us as we help to remake the world. It starts getting really personal here. Give to everyone who begs from you. What? Have you seen how many people beg from us? Even the pastor does sometimes. Anyway, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Wow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, by the way, that is not in the Old Testament. What Jesus seems to be doing here is he seems to be drawing on conventional wisdom of his time. And maybe we actually could say something similar. You have heard it said that you like the folks on your side, but you don't necessarily like the folks on the other side of any kind of aisle. Right? But I say to you, Jesus says, remember, Jesus is after more here more here than just growing your tree taller and higher. It's great and all, but Jesus is after more than that. What Jesus is after is a world remade. And Jesus says, here's how we'll do it. By loving our enemies and praying, seriously, praying for those who persecute you. And I'm sure the prayer is something better than, God, may he be hit by a bus today. That's not what we're talking about. But can you imagine praying for the well-being of the folks who are persecuting your children? It gets more personal for me there. I'm a big boy. I can handle some persecution. 
but the folks around me that I am duty-bound to protect, that I want to protect with my own life, to pray for the folks who would persecute them. Well, that's how the world is remade. All right, we're going to keep going. I know you don't like this, but we're going to keep going anyway. So that you may be called children of your Father in heaven. For God makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It seems like sun and rain are indiscriminate. It seems like God is indiscriminate in sending sun and rain. There is this implication here that we, if we're going to image this God for the world, should also be indiscriminate where loving is concerned. Those who deserve it and those who don't. Those who need it and those who don't. Those who will respond to it and those who won't. Is our love indiscriminate enough? Or, like it said here, are we like those who love only those who love us? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the Gentiles, do the same. And then here it is. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now you can hear this word perfection in a better context. And I will tell you this. Perhaps it could have been translated a different way, and this is that other way it might have been translated. You will be complete or completed as your heavenly Father is complete. And now you know, having heard all of chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, what this completeness means and what this perfection means. It has to do with our capacity to love as God loves. In other words, here's what's being said in Matthew 5, 48. Give an opportunity, give an opportunity, this God can increase your capacity to love so that someday you actually will have the capacity to love your enemies and your opposites just like God does. And when such a thing happens, the world changes, perhaps starting in your house. The world doesn't change when you love those who love you. I'm glad for you to do it, and you should do it. You should love those who love you. But the world changes when you love those that don't love you or won't love you. The world changes when you love your enemies and your opposites. This is holiness. This is what is meant by this term, perfection, but this is also a part, an essential ingredient in what we understand to be the meaning, this powerful meaning of this word, holiness. Hear this, if you are pure and even understand yourselves as sacred and set apart, but you do not love like this, you are not yet on the track toward holiness. You're just pure. High five. But holiness entails the reorganizing of your heart and your passions and your desires so that you find a way to love that person that makes you grit your teeth and I know who they are in my life. Oh, it's exhausting. In fact, Wesley doesn't help us out any here. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but social. No holiness but social holiness. Now this is not socialism, relax. This is social holiness meaning relational holiness. 
There is no holiness that exists somehow outside of your capacity to love another. There's no holiness outside of that. If you're pure, it only matters if your purity develops or enhances or helps your relationality. Otherwise, it's legalism. And the world's had plenty of that. (laughs) Faith, working by love, is the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of Christian perfection. Now do you understand perfection? Remember in the movie uh, Karate Kid? You do remember the movie Karate Kid? No. (laughs) There was one not too long ago also named Karate Kid, but I think it should have been named the Kung Fu Kid, it seemed like, right? It was more Kung Fu. There was this point at which Young Trey, who's there to be trained by Mr. Han in the fine art of Kung Fu. There's a point at which Trey gets very upset because he's been asked to do these these things, these movements, all these movements. Mr. Han was overseeing these movements that seemed to make no sense to him. And Trey finally gets really upset and says, I'm done, I'm done with this. Only to find that Mr. Han, as he's been overseeing all these movements, has been overseeing the process whereby Trey learned something and was remade closer to the image of his instructor. Faith probably is best understood not as something that is learned the way that a lecturer teaches something to a classroom. Faith, working itself by love, is probably best understood as an issue of apprenticeship. God says in the book of Leviticus, be holy. And I'm going to be there to help you know what that's going to look like. I'm going to be there to help oversee all these movements in the hopes that someday you actually can be holy. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But Jesus also says, and I will be there with you to help you, to redeem all of your life's movements. Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there to oversee all of these, to supervise all of these movements, whereby you are grown into the kind of person who can, in fact, love the way God loves. And here's what we're going to call it. If you ever get to that point where you can love the way God loves, not only will we call that Christian perfection, in the tradition of John Wesley, but we will call it holiness. Be holy, says God, as we come full circle. Be holy, for I, your God, am holy. In other words, this God, this God already has the capacity to love you and me, though there are times when we don't return it or deserve it, And God calls that, in referring to himself, God calls that God's sense of holiness. To love when that love perhaps will not be returned. To so love the other and see the dignity and the beauty 
and the meaning and the value of the other, that love just sort of happens to be remade so that you can love like that and love all indiscriminately, even your enemy and your opposite. God refers to that quality of himself. God refers to that quality as his holiness. When we, in our tradition, talk about holiness, we're not talking about, we're not just talking about all the different times that you are finally able to not do the bad thing. That is incomplete. We're talking about your capacity to image God to the world by your capacity to love as God loves. God is seeking apprentices today. So would you stand with me? We have lots to do, and strangely enough, I have overshot my time. But the altars are open today for those who would need a prayer for healing. The altars are also open today for those who would be apprentices. Of course, they're open for any kind of prayer that you would like to pray, but the altars are open today for those who would say, God, if you'll have me, and if you'll take me, and if you'll give me that long-term investment, I'm willing to see what you can do with me. Or perhaps you would say, God, I wish that I wanted this. Legitimate prayer. The Heavenly Father. We know in our heart of hearts that you have loved us on the days when perhaps we have been most unworthy, unlovable. We've received that as grace. God, now help us to see how that grace might unlock our capacity to love others in that same way. Now, we confess, Lord, that we will need you to be close by, very close by, if we're ever going to make this work. But we're receiving your offer, the hand of the offered apprenticeship today. In a moment, Brandon's going to sing. And I think it can be as simple as that if you would take God up on this offer to take you on as a project. There's room for you. So as Brandon sings, I want to invite you. And you can go ahead right now and take a posture of prayer that's most comfortable for you. If you want to remain standing, you are certainly welcome to do so. If you want to kneel where you are, you can. Or if you want to find a place to pray, Brandon, go ahead and sing and find that place to pray. You have loved us You have loved us all You have loved us all So we love all You have blessed us You have blessed us all you have blessed us all, so we bless all. You have given. You have given. You have.
have given all. You have given all, so we give all. Thank you for Christ and cross through us till one dream. Thank you for making peace through us love our enemies thank you for daily bread through us fill the empty thank you for bodies whole through been the breaking all his grace and all his grace and all his grace and all his grace and grace enough all all his grace and all his grace and grace enough for all of us for all of us it's a good time if you see someone here that you would like to come and support in prayer, it's a good time for you to make that move now. It is altogether possible that they will understand your touch as the touch of God mediated through you, and that's good. Father, we are challenged by words like perfection for sure, but we are challenged also by words like holiness especially as we understand them as they are communicated through Scripture. Father, we confess that we find concepts like turning the other cheek, walking the second mile, we find those concepts to be a challenge to our own sense of conventional wisdom. Father, we confess that so many times we have fallen short. We've been so busy worrying about the height of the tree that we've not paid attention to the quality of the forest. God, would you fuel and fund our imaginations? God, would you give us some glimpse of what a remade world might look like? Would you give us some glimpse of what a remade household might look like when this definition of love and this definition of holiness and this definition of perfection, if these definitions were to function in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our households, in our workplaces, in our schools and classrooms, 
everywhere we find ourselves, would you give us some glimpse of how this world might be remade if we were to take seriously these words of the Sermon on the Mount? God, I pray not just for me, but I pray for us. that a fuller understanding of this word holiness would be on display here. God, so grateful for those who already embody a full and deep understanding of this word holiness. So grateful for those who love in these same ways. God, Help us to see those people. Help us to understand what we are seeing as we look at those folks who have grown in their capacity to love the other and the opposite like you do. Help us to see how they are able to change the world pocket at a time because they're able to love as you love. See as you see. Relate as you relate. May these living examples be for us both encouragement and correction. God, we pray for the sick and the injured today. Pull them close to you. May they know of your presence. May they know of your healing presence. May they know of your peace. May they sleep well. Would you now pray a brief prayer for those around you you know to be sick or hurt and pray that God would be especially close. to ask you to pray for this brief meeting we're going to have right after our tithes and offerings. Would you pray that the beauty and the grandeur and the glory of God would be on display in our meetings as well? God, awaken us to the the words that you've made available to us that serve as constant reminders of where it is you'd like to take us. As we pray these words, the words of the Lord's Prayer, God, may we understand that this is a good communication, a great communication of where it is you would like to see us all go, how you'd like to shape this particular forest. I want to encourage you now, church, to pray along with me the words of the Lord's Prayer, and we will use debts and debtors. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter Thank at you so OKC much for being First here this Church. Morning, this past-